Black shoes and blue jackets. Sip silently from the scuttlebutt. Nicely note the nine-knot navy. And stow your sea bags, sailors. Yar, it's time to talk tall to me. Yar. You know, that pirate voice is all based on a guy who played Long John Silver. Oh, God, in like the 50s or something in a movie. He just had a northern accent. And uh-huh, so uh-huh. going there, going forward, everyone depicts a pirate with that accent because that's how he did Long John Silver. Yeah, and it works. Yeah. My pantaloons are full of lobsters. Why they're there, I don't know. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are the Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A shakedown cruise along the disputed coast of Prague Rock, in which 30-knot Nick and old man Omen will swab clean and spit-polish down every single seaworthy track that first-rate rock band Jethro Tull has ever launched. We will point our stern directly into the storm watch, conduct full honors for the hare who lost his spectacles, and step over the knee-knocker of nobody's car. And as we work to keep our grub galley gleaming and our gangplank greased, we will always keep a 21-gun salute primed and loaded to honor the fluting frogman, the Scottish sipper, the barnacle of Blackpool, Ian Anchors Away Anderson. That's good. That was very good. Very, uh... Very nautical. You know that Anchors Away is not like A-W-A-Y, like they're away. They've gone away. It's away. They are at oh. at weight. They've disconnected from the surface of the water. They've disconnected from the, the bottom of the ocean. They're being weighed. They are away. Oh, interesting. They're away. So they can, now you can haul them up. So Anchors Away, A-W-A-Y, seems like drop them. But anchors away to weigh them is the exact opposite. It's we're ready to go. Wow. We, we've de-anchored from the bottom, yeah. So it's like aloha. It means hello and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. That it used to be anchors aloha. Yeah. But then uh it, it spread from the Hawaiian Navy. Speaking of spreading, Nick, what are we listening to this week on Talk Tall to Me? Talk Tall to Me this week, we are covering the seventh track. Track B2 off of Crest of a Nave. It is Mountain Men. I've been trying to get more B2 in my diet, so this is perfect timing. Yeah, great. A straight-up injection right into your ears. (laughs) Well, uh, why don't we have a listen to... Before we get into it, I just got a little note from one of the Tull magazines that I have that I've, I've pulled notes from, and this is in particular kind of putting into context this song. Great. I know normally we struggle with context a lot of the times, but at least we can go into it knowing this one this time. So the song Mountain Men actually became more famous in Europe when the album Crest was released because it's depicting a scene from World War II in Africa and the Falklands War. Uh Uh-huh. Ian referred to the battles of El Alamein in World War II and also South America in 1982, Mm -hmm. drawing historic parallels of the angst that women left behind by their warrior husbands might have felt. Yeah. Thanks for getting all that out. That was going to be my big reveal based on my research. But but, no, I appreciate it. That's great. I'm glad to disappoint you yet again, Omen. (laughs) No, it's it's great. This is one of the more interesting historical reference songs because Mm -hmm. it is making that parallel. But it's also one of the most 
exciting musical pieces off of the album. So I'm excited to get into it. Yes. Let's. Let's dive in. Let's climb this mountain and open our ears. There ain't no mountain high enough for mountain men. Nick McGill, Merciful Mountain Man. That was Mountain Men. You know, that's another song where I was like, oh yeah, this is 12 minutes long. No, it's it's six. I was just going to ask you, yeah, is this a long song? Is this not a long song? It's in the, it's a problem song. It's <laughs> it's in the middle. It's, 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 in, it's in between. It's a mid-song, mid-size song, yeah. Yeah, but the scope of the song is truly epic, truly massive, yes. truly yes. generational. Yeah, all of those fit perfectly, yeah. Let's talk about it musically. What do we hear first off? Oh my gosh. That like kind of eerie synth. That Yeah. If I had three testicles, I would bet one of them that that was the Fairlight CMI. But you, you're not confident enough to bet one of your two I'm hoping testicles? to get rid. I'm hoping to get <laughs> back to two. <laughs> Oh, so you would bet you would bet against it being the Fairlight CMI. If, if I had three testicles, I would bet one of those is Martin Barr on a Jew's harp. <laughs> How do you think I ended up with three in the first place? <laughs> oh gosh, that was your punishment. Yeah, I do think it's the Fairlight CMI programmed by one Ian Anderson. We have him on the flute there as well. Mm-hmm. It's eerie and it's slow yeah. and it is pensive. It's weighty. Mm-hmm. It has it flows like like a thick mist. And it works very nicely to, I guess, introduce the flute that comes in, like, right after that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We have the drum doing that slow, heavy lead up. Yeah. That full crescendo at, at about one minute is so powerful. It is. It's great. Uh, that's Mr. Doan Perry on the drums on this track. Everybody's favorite drumming giant, Doan Perry. This song is in 4-4, which I don't know that I wasn't expecting, but I guess I am surprised by. Why, just thinking back, the mythical song that is Mountain Men without listening to it, you think it's extra long and super proggy? It has so many elements of prog already. It has so many different shifts of tone, shifts of tambour, timbre, timbre. Uh, yeah, it it shifts a lot and timber. It's timber. It's going down. I'm yelling timber. You better move. You better dance. <laughs> it's going down. I'm yelling timber. You better move. You better dance. Do you know that song? I think you know the answer to that question. It's Kesha, obviously. Yeah. K-E dollar sign H-A. And I hope she's doing better. Okay. So, yeah, we have the slow drum coming in. We have the bass not revealing too much about itself, but definitely definitely working in the in the shadows. It's coyly peeking from behind a curtain, saying, I'm the bass. It's, 
Yeah. It can see you, but you can't see it. Yeah. It's got those Errol Flynn peepholes. <laughs> it's a callback to a couple episodes ago. I, just, I was just <laughs> listening to that. Just another fun note about Errol Flynn. He was such a he was such a womanizer. He slept with so many people. People would say, you know, if you were flirting with somebody and you got their favor, you people would say, oh, yeah, you're in like Flynn. Is that where that comes from? Yes. Wow. And Errol Flynn loved the phrase so much that he wanted to name his autobiography In Like Me. (laughs) And his publisher was like, no, no, Errol. Errol, no. He smacked him on the muzzle with a a newspaper. Get back in your peephole room. Drop it. Please drop it. Kind of disgusting. Yeah. Wonderful swordsman, though. I mean, I guess. Sure. Later on... House on the hillside, it opens up its brighter. Well, there's a house on the hillside. It makes me think a little bit of the bright, the tempo and drive of Dire Straits' Tunnel of Love. Mm. Especially with the organ there in the background. We have the organ here in this song just going, da, 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 da. Well, there's a house on the hillside. Moving things along, giving it that 80s vibe. Yeah, it's got a very, like, underground 80s feel. I know in my soul that it's 80s, but I can't really place it with other songs from the 80s and say, oh, it's because of this. Maybe it's because of 80s Genesis a little bit, I think. Maybe that's what it's reminding me of. But again, I couldn't tell you, well, it's this Genesis song. It just kind of smacks of 80s. Listen to the Money for Nothing album, Dire Straits, nineteen eighty-eight. A couple years later, but it does have a little bit of that same feeling with the conversation between the synth and the guitar. Yeah. Okay. It's an all-around fairly good album. Okay. So when we get into the faster section with "There's a House on the Hillside," we have a wonderful flute thrilling technique that is delightful. Thrilling or trilling? Yes, it is a trilling thrill. Okay, great. A thrilling trilling. <laughs> Even though the relationship between Martin and the Fairlight at this point does remind me of Dire Straits, Martin's tone his himself is much more classic Martin in this song, yeah. at least in this section. More so than the, than the parts where I'm like, oh yeah, that's a very good like 80s guitar sound. Yeah. It sounds more like classic Martin. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is not a terribly... We've had a couple in the past. We've had a couple like, well, this is clearly a tall Dire Straits kind of sound. This one is not. Aside from like the generic blanket 80s feel, I would not get terribly dire straits connected in this. And then the thing that puts it firmly in the prog camp, and I don't think you could call dire straits prog. I mean, you could, but you would be beaten. Probably wrong, yeah. Massacred with a a bag full of sponges, wet sponges. Oof. That would take a long time. Yeah, you'd be so clean. But when we get to the bridge, we change the musical path that we're following. Mm. Long generations from the Isles, sent to tread the foreign miles. Long generations from the Isles, sent to tread the foreign miles. It puts it into a different vibe. It almost feels like you've dropped into another song really quick. Whereas, in fact, Ian has, has changed the camera lens on this, mm. on this story, and now we have a different view of it. Yeah, it's such an... Such a grandly epic portion of that song. I mean, there's yeah. there's really there's the three parts, the three sounds in this, like you were saying. There's the start, 
and then where it opens up a little bit and gets uh-huh. a little bit brighter and then yep. we get that part right in the middle kind of acts as a bridge and then it repeats again i just want to go back really quickly to the beginning with that crescendo really quick ian starts out so reserved i think uh-huh and then i mean ultimately the whole song does and when they build into that crescendo and it gets it gets heavier and and rockier yes ian never gets out of control though while everything else is getting really big and broad and cacophonous and in a really powerful way, Ian is just kind of plugging along. He's really just telling us this story at a steady yeah. pace. He is changing that tone. Like we said, we have those three different sounds lyrically, sonically singing, but his vocals are really just the backbone to this whole kind of manic song. I know that there have been people who have said, oh yeah, you know, post-surgery Ian, quote-unquote, couldn't sing. How can you say that listening to this album? Yeah. He's singing so beautifully. It's really powerful. It's gorgeous. And he's doing things that I think as he, as a performer and as a singer matures, he's he's realizing that he doesn't have to. Remember way back during the Aqualung days when somebody was quoted, I think it was Martin, as saying, oh, you know, Ian thinks it, he can't just sit on a stool and play the acoustic guitar. He feels like he has to jump around for people to notice him. Yeah. I wish he would do more of that just, you know, sitting there and playing the guitar. I feel like as he's maturing, as we are taking this journey throughout the decades, he's finding the power in those more subtle things to draw the audience in. There's this yeah. there's this crazy, unusual thing. I think it's on the line as they pull the net with no betraying light. The way that he breathes it, he goes, he goes, breath in, a thin moon slips behind them as they pull, catch breath, the net with no betraying light. Ooh, a thin moon. Slips behind them as they pull the net with no betraying light. It's this subtle little, like, he breathes in the wrong place, uh-huh. but it gives it so much personality. I'm sure I've told you this before. You can actually just go get more coffee while I tell this story because you've heard it. Okay. Yeah, I'll be right back. When Sir Derek Jacobi came and visited the school I was at in London, he was talking about the importance of respecting Shakespeare's text and saying, like, look, he's already done the work for you. All you have to do is, is follow it. You know, don't, don't do mm. anything else. And I remember, you know, it was a question and answer thing, and I was like, how do you add your own personality to the text? How do you make it your Hamlet rather than someone else's? And he thought about it for a minute. He said, breathe in the wrong place once. Yeah. Once in the entire show. <laughs> he's that old school training, full on respect, do not tweak, do not touch. Except... One, you are permitted one mistake. And I feel like this weird catch breath in the middle of this line is, it's got to be intentional. There's no, I mean, he could totally sing that line without breathing. Oh, absolutely. But it's it's such a fascinating choice that it really draws you in and makes you be like, wait, who is this person? What is this about? Yeah. Speaking of Derek Jacobi and I, Claudius, he plays Claudius in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Yes, 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 yes. Very good. That's where I first learned of Derek Jacobi and Brian Blessed. We were talking about Brian Blessed oh. off air. Yeah, he plays the former King Hamlet. Jacobi was up for the role of Gandalf. Ooh, that would have been very interesting. It would have been very different, but I mean, he would have rocked it, but... He should have played Bilbo. Yep. He would have been a good Bilbo. So yeah, I think ultimately the adage necessity is the mother of invention really works here you know it is 
tragic that he had the voice issue and he needed surgery, but we wouldn't have this sound. He wouldn't have adapted and changed his method probably for a, a couple more years at least if he hadn't needed to. This is going to sound so corny, but literally this is such a great example of an artistic phoenix moment. Sure. You have one of these things that a normal, reasonable person would be like, well, that part of my life is over. Right. I'm destroyed. And Ian is like, you know what? I've been burned down to a set of ashes and boom. Rebirth. <laughs> he's the bamboo. He grows back quickly and more powerful. He's, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. If you strike me down, I'll come back even more powerful than before. When they used to torture people in wartime, they, they would tie them over a place where a bunch of Ian Andersons were growing. Yep. And it would just grow right through them. Yeah. Yeah, right through their fingernails and everything. Yeah. Anything else to say about Mountain Men musically, Nick? There's this moment. I know it's, it's slightly lyrical, but musically there's this moment in between Winks a Smile and Who Am I? Where he goes, hey. Oh, yeah. There's like a little hay in there. that yeah. It just caught me for the first time. I really liked it. I have to admit, uh-huh. I'm very ashamed to admit this. Please do. That this was another instance of one of those songs where it never really registered for me until now, but really like listening to it musically has, it puts it so much more potently on the map for me. There are a number of tall songs where because the lyrics are either too complex for me to initially understand or refer to something that would require research for me to understand. Correct. That they get relegated to the part of my brain of like, yeah, I'll figure that out later. Yeah, and then you never do. And then you it's just kind of one of those, it's like a flyover state of a song. You're just like, oh yeah, okay. Mountain Men gets me to Waking Edge. Cool. Until your best friend makes you do a podcast and you have to look at every single song and then you're like, oh my God, this box has so much dust on it. <laughs> that was the whole goal of this podcast. Three years in the making. Now you know what Mountain Men is about. Now we are going to find out. The last little musical thing, we talked about this on the last song, I think, or recently at least. But the transition from the end of Mountain Men into the beginning of Waking Edge is one of those brilliant little, you only get it if you listen to the album in context moments. Yeah. Between dream mountains of our Eden. It's so smooth, and it's it's so anticlimactic if you're not instantly starting Waking Edge. Yeah. It's so brilliantly, beautifully produced. And I, I really, I love it when songs do that. I love it when artists do that, and they, they build that in. Even if the songs really have nothing to do with one another, like story-wise, lyrically, or anything, or sonically, they make... A relatively drastic change you know they go into that different song but when they they make that link it just feels it just feels so much more it brings me into the album more you know i get mm-hmm. more invested and enveloped and it's like it's like zealot gene when let's see it's three loves three goes into in brief visitation i believe oh yeah 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 for the first like 12 times I listened to that album and I wasn't watching the track specifically, I had no idea where it started. I'm so excited, Nick, for when Rockfleet drops. Rockfleet. To hear where where the 
composition of the album is, you know, rather than just, you know, we've, we've gotten to listen to one of the songs already, but I'm just really curious to hear how it fits together. Yeah, very exciting. And because our brains are meaning-making machines, <laughs> even if you put two songs together back-to-back that do have a musical transition between them, even if the songs themselves have nothing to do with each other lyrically or thematically, the brain struggles to make some sort of liaison there. Yeah, it wants to. It really wants that to happen. Yeah. It wants it. It wants it like a dog wants chocolate. It doesn't know how destructive it is, but it just really wants it. Exactly. Bert ate a piece of bark yesterday. Bert is not a dog, and that was not chocolate. So that was, it was a bit of, bit of a stretch, but... Something ate something, so... Okay, great, yeah. Yeah, I had a bowl of cereal this morning. No one wants to hear your troubles. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, anything else to say musically about Mountain Men? No, no, no. We've got a lot of correspondence and stuff for the middle, so I think we ought to hike up this mountain here and, and meet at the peak, and we'll, we'll discuss. Let's get to the jammy center of this Victoria sponge cake. Uh, Nick, hello. The Oof. view from up here is gorgeous. I'm going to have some tuna. I am out of breath. And I'm out of tuna. The air is really thin. I guess I'll just have a protein muffin. Yeah, we've got we've got a lot to t- to discuss in this very th- thin atmosphere here. So let's. Uh, I guess we should just jump right in here. I've got a couple of addenda before we get into anything. Pew 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 pew. You're about to get addendumized. <laughs> I guess I won't do the addendum sting. That was good enough. No, please do. It's about to get addendumized. From Jeffy B and from Feckless Mom and from Jeff Hoppa, everybody wrote in for uh, a comment on the last episode, Farm on the Freeway. Okay. The lyric was, this was no South Fork, it was no Ponderosa. This was no South Fork, it was no Ponderosa. And we're like, oh, there's a Ponderosa in California, and there's a South Fork right. in Georgia or whatever. Places that Ian saw on the map driving through. Yeah. Mm, probably not. What all three of them wrote in and said, you guys are babies, change your <laughs> diapers, because South Fork was probably a reference to the farm on in the show Dallas, and Ponderosa was probably from Bonanza. Right. So neither of those are shows that we grew up with. Those are shows that were big in the 80s, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, Dallas was kind of a, a groundbreaking television program. That was the one where they, there was one season where it ended with a murder and then there were like possible different suspects. It was, it was kind of like a big deal. Who shot JR? Yeah. Right. And then it, didn't it end with a dream or am I making that up? No, I don't know that, that you That was are. a different one, yeah. And then, no, I, I think it may have been. And then oh. Bonanza, it's like a gun, it's a gun... Cowboy. Cowboy Western. Uh, cowboy Western. Before cowboys were gay. <laughs> I mean, they were. They just weren't open about it. It was while the cowboys were still in the closet. It was a closeted cowboy show. Yes. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you, all of our Discord fam, for revealing to us <laughs> the error of our youth, the, the wrongness of our ways. And next, also based on Farb on the Freeway, this is... From Mirset on YouTube, they write in and say, This is a marvelous song with such a strong imagery. 
you talked about Steel Monkey video. And I said, oh, it's only Ian in there. It looks like mysterious people. I don't know who the, like, the stock people are playing the instruments, but it's not, it's not the band. Right. Mirset says, I can assure you that Martin Barr is the guitarist in that clip. He did a lot of running after Under Wraps tour and went complete body transformation. Huh. There's also Dave Pegg on the bass, but I'm not sure about the drummer. He looks like Dave Maddox from Fairport Convention, who did play the drums in the 1992 A Little Light Music Tour with Tull. On the topic of random drummers in Tull videos, I've got one story which I'll share later. Thank you for the threat. Also, the other videos with Tull band members besides Ian would be Under Wraps and Kissing Willie, if I recall correctly. Also, we had a lot of people write in and let us know that those two videos as well were the ones. And I believe... In the next episode, After Farm on the Freeway, this is all past for you now listening to this, I correct myself about under wraps. Yes, yes, yes. But I haven't, I haven't gotten the courage to watch Kissing Willie yet. I think we'll, I think we'll save that. All in good time. <laughs> or bad time, to be honest. But thank you, uh, again, thank you for helping us along this journey to help us keep on the straight and narrow path instead of deviating into the wrong wheat into the poppy fields. Oh, yeah. The prog poppies. That'd be bad. Yeah. And next up, we have... Oh, I believe we have a review actually, that you have, Nick, Omen. Uh, actually, before we get there, we, we actually have a, a review. Oh, we have a review before we get to the review that you're going to read? That's what we have, and I'm going to read it now. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Probably one of our favorite reviews that we've ever, that we've ever had. I'm, I'm going to read it out. I'm going to read the whole thing. Hold on one second. It's pretty solid. Okay, prepare yourself. Brace yourself, everybody. Buckle up. Settle in. Dodgers Stink 2016 writes in via Apple Podcasts. Title, I love this podcast. Five stars. Text. Great job, guys. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dodgers Stink 2016. I will reserve saying anything about the Dodgers because I don't even know if they are a baseball team or a, a, a football team. I at least know that they're baseball. But thank you so much for the review. I'm glad we are doing it for you. Yeah. It, five stars count. We're not asking for a life story. We appreciate everything you got. And honestly, the short and sweet and succinct is just as powerful and enjoyable to us. And I have that now tattooed on my inner thigh, that whole review. Speaking of Hamlet, as Polonius said in Act 2, brevity is the soul of podcast reviews. Yeah. Yeah, so well done on that, Dodger Stink 2016. Thank you so much. Nick, what else do we have? Finally, to wrap up our mountain excursion, I have us an email from previous writer in your good friend of the pod, Eldis Potier. Eldis Potier. Eldis Potier. Quote, So in discussing Steel Monkey and the Crest of a Knave album in general, Omen said, I don't think this is a, oh well, people didn't like under wraps, so I'm going in a different direction. I think it's, I genuinely don't think he cares about what people want or think. I did say that. I can't believe anyone listened to me say that or remembered. Wrong again, Momes. (laughs) I remembered that Jethro Tull actually focus-grouped Crest of a Knave before it was released. What? Listeners in 12 U.S. media markets were asked to listen to and rank tracks from Crest of a Knave. I mean, you can't get much more caring about what other people think than having a focus group. Whoa. 
Sadly, I did not participate, but I do remember that they had done the focus groups and that it was yet another reason for the haters to hate. Jethro Tull is the epitome of corporate rock. Yuck. But, as the article from 1987 makes clear, which I will post in the show notes, the article, Ian was less interested in tailoring his music to the audience's taste and more interested in actually inspiring a team effort to get this album in front of the people. So, in the end, Omen was not wrong. I never thought he was. Ian wasn't using focus groups to chart a new course for Jethro Tull. He was counting on the fact that record company execs would be motivated to work hard to support the album if they had focus group evidence to convince them it was worth their time. Wow. Oh, the tangled webs, Mr. Anderson. Wheels within wheels, fires within fires. Keep up the excellent work, chaps. Your episodes get better and better. I thought the Ian Anderson Snoop Dogg comparison on the General Crossing episode was absolutely fantastic. You gents are the tops, and now Spotify confirms it. You don't need no stinking focus groups. I raise my glass of orange juice to you both. All the best, Eldis. Eldis Pote, thank you so much for the perspective, for your eloquent words, and what a fascinating little tidbit. Yeah. I mean, A, that that they would do a focus group and B that they would use that as a tactic for the record label to support the album more. That is so mischievous. It's like, it's slightly dastardly, but it's, it's Ian as the businessman knowing what needs to happen. Yeah. It's playing the game. It's so fascinating to think that like, I just, just good on you, Ian. I also, you know, it reminds me of, you know, that Roald Dahl, part of his, idea for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was that they would send schoolboys some of those chocolate companies would send schoolboys these sample chocolates of things that they were testing and the schoolboys would have to write back and say oh I like this one because of this I like this one because of this Uh so that inspired Roald Dahl to create this Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Mm -hmm. it makes me think of like how amazing would it be if it was like Ian Anderson and the Prague Factory (laughs) and we got a golden ticket and we (laughs) went in and then it was like All of the old band members were the Oompa Loompas. Then we got... (laughs) Our group got picked off one by one. I really hope for a Golden Tull ticket. Eaten by Drumatron. That is brilliant. And perfect. But really, really cool. What an odd moment of the times. So strange, but again, like, so brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. Well done. Nick, anything else to add here at this uh, this break? No, that's it for me. I am good with that, if you are. Oh, the pack mule. The, our Sherpa's here. I finally brought you your tank of nitrogen. Is, shouldn't it be oxygen, Mary? Yeah, I think nitrogen is just what makes up 70% of the, of the air. Ah, that's what I've been breathing to get up here. No, no wonder you're so out of breath. Yeah, should, right. Just breathe the regular air. This isn't even really a tall mountain. Do you have the bends, Mary? This canister is full of laughing gas. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's that's nitrous oxide. That's yeah, not yeah, actually yeah, yeah. nitrogen, Mary. See if you got anything useful. We're, we're going to make our way down. We'll <laughs> down oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's get out of here, Nick. I'm terrified. Nick, mountain men. Mountain men, ladies and gentlemen, mountain men. This is a song that is simultaneously really complex and really simple. Yeah, yeah, it is. If you know all of that historical context, that it's about 
the show Dallas, then then you understand it. And it's it's great. Wait, no, I'm getting confused. So we have we, we start out the image. I mean, first of all, we have the title itself, which I think is perhaps the most mysterious and mm. hardest to crack nut of the song. But I, I do have a theory that I will reveal in good time. And it's not just the title. I mean, that is where the mountain men are kings. That's in our yeah. chorus every yeah. time, which is slightly mysterious. And it was really the biggest question mark for me. And as soon as we have the title, we have that contrasted with The Poacher and His Daughter. Well, speaking of Roald Dahl, great book about, what is it, The, the Most Fabulous Man in the Universe? I, I'm, I'm unaware of that. Incredible. I'll look it up later. No, I'll look it up right now. <laughs> While you're looking that up, speaking of this set of lyrics here, I just want to point out good old Jupson chimed in with kind of a parallel between mountain men and thick as a brick. The Mountain Men lyric is the poacher and his daughter throw soft shadows on the water in the night. The poacher and his daughter throw soft shadows on the water in the night. So beautifully poetic. The thick as a brick is the poet and the painter casting shadows on the water. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad that Jupson brought that up. Yeah. Because that is something that I, I, I thought that there was some kind of parallel lyric, but I hadn't looked it up. Yeah, casting shadows on the water as the sun plays on the infantry returning to the sea. The poet and the painter casting shadows on the water as the sun plays on the infantry returning from the sea. Strange connection or just... We know Ian plays with lyric similarities very regularly. And maybe it's like, you know, sometimes in Shakespeare you find... Oh, here's a proto version of this speech, which in a later play was developed into a whole scene. Yeah. I wonder if that's an image that he had in mind, or even a theme that he had in mind that he later developed into this song. Uh, the book I was thinking of was Danny, Champion of the World. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. It's about a, a kid and their and their father who's a poacher. Oh, interesting. So we have this we have this scene set of the poacher and his daughter mm-hmm. going out to perhaps tickle trout in the moonlight, and. That's a, that's a poaching technique that you will get familiar with if you read Danny Champion of the World. I guess I have some homework. And then we have the singer who later on down the coast road meets them, walks, I walk with them, they wish me luck when I ship out on the Sunday mm. from the Kyle. I walk with them, they wish me luck when I ship out on the Sunday from the Kyle. Right, so... It's not third-person omniscient. This is a first-person song of the soldier telling us his experience. Over there, over there. Yeah. Was that the army? I think that was army, right? That's the army, yeah. Yeah. And from the church, I hear the singing as the ship moves sadly from the pier O poacher's daughter, Sunday best. 200 brave souls share the farewell tear. And from the church, I hear the singing as the ship moves sadly from the pier. Oh, butcher's daughter, Sunday best, 200 brave souls share the farewell tear. I mean, this is a whole theme of songs in the world. Oh, sure, this, the, the soldier, the sailor going to sea, those people left behind in mourning, basically, wait for me. Farewell and adieu to my Spanish ladies. Yeah. So wake, lady, wake. I'm waiting for thee, for this night or never, my bride thou shalt be. What's the one about the, what's that horrible tearjerker country song about 
the valedictorian who marries the soldier and they're like 17 and then she hears his name read out on the death toll and she's crying under the bleachers. Are you telling me there's only one song that's like that? There's one that stands out in my mind that I remember. (laughs) If you remember it and tell me before I edit this podcast, I'll put it in. Okay. But I make no promises. Then we start getting into the crux with the next verse there. Yeah. Yeah. Lay down and let the slow tide wash me back to the land where I came from, where the mountain men are kings, and the sound of the piper counts for everything. Lay down and let the slow tide wash me back to the land where I came from, where the mountain men are kings, and the sound of the piper counts for everything. That is the one solid through line through this entire song. We hear that at least two or three times. Uh huh. Where the mountain men are kings and the sound of the piper counts for everything. The piper, to me, is the bagpiper playing the mournful tune. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. For funerals, for military funeral. Yeah. But the mountain men, is that just in reference to like this regiment, these people who fought in this war which took place in, in the mountains? And because they went off to be heroes, they are now kings? I think it's more the former. So this actually kind of takes me back to our high school days. Okay. When we were in high school, I don't know what your experience was, but in my high school, the ROTC was, was a pretty big deal. It was, it was a very well-funded club. And it I, don't, I forget what it stands for, but it was basically the Junior Marine Corps. I think it's just... Just military training, basically. Yeah, it's 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 sort of pre-officer training for high school students. And then if you actually do go from there into the army or into, into the military, you, you go in at the level of a commissioned officer rather than starting out as general enlisted. Yeah, it's the Reserve Officers Training Corps. Yes. It's more regularly in college. We didn't have any at Weedsport, but I, there was a, a big ROT contingency at Hofstra. And right. it is for training commissioned officers of the United States Armed Forces. So it's not a specific branch. Right. So the reason it was such a popular club is because there was very little else to do in upstate New York. And yeah. there were very few other economic opportunities. You know, it was kind of like not that many people went to college from my hometown. Mm-hmm. There weren't that many places to get a job in my hometown. So... The army provided this outlet for people, or at least this perceived opportunity. What my take of the mountain men is that this area, and let's say it's Scotland, Mm. for the sake of argument, although there's no particular evidence to support that, but there are mountains there, can confirm. yeah. This area seems to be a place, or what I'm interpreting from this is that this is an area where in their own environment, it's like everyone is a king. Everyone has has control of their own environment. You know, mm. the, they ha, they have this tradition. They are the sound of the piper is is what is important, and that population is steadily shipped off. All the men in that population, right? These kings of the mountain, are being shipped off to be a, a, a soldier to go and fight in these foreign wars. Hmm. It's a place where the army is pulling the resource of these of these people. Right. Yeah. I feel like I feel like just recently we had another Tull song that was talking about a soldier that went in 
or maybe it wasn't a soldier, maybe it was like working in the mines or something that you have no other resource. So you go into a dangerous job or you go into a job that pulls you away from your family. I feel like we did have that recently. Yeah, interesting. Well, and there's certainly a lot of circumstances like that. I mean, the coal mines yeah. in various places. And then we have the references to the specific battles or the specific engagements. So you, you mentioned yeah. Alamin. Yeah. It's the frontier of Western Egypt. There was a big battle fought there in 1942, and it was the turning point of the North African campaign. So the German and Italian armies were ultimately defeated by the British Eighth Army and turned the tide of the war in that area. And this is specifically World War II. Specifically World War II. Yeah. The Falklands are much more contemporary with the writing in this song. Yeah. The Falklands War, which was an undeclared war. Right. Uh, it was a conflict between the United Kingdom and Argentina, and it, was, it happened in 1982. Basically, there's a set of islands that have been under British rule, that had been under British rule for a long time. Most of the citizens identified with being British, mm -hmm. but it's off the coast of Argentina, and the Argentine Navy said, you know what, actually, we're going to take this over. This is in our territory. It's, it's ours. Yeah. And so they took over the island, and a huge response from Britain came. And, and it was the, one of the first conflicts to be televised, because it was the 80s. Yeah, everything was. Yeah. And so it became, so that reference of, we died in the Falklands on TV. Died in the Falklands on TV. Is really fascinating, because there were casualties. There were, you know. Sure. Only... A couple hundred British soldiers died in that conflict. But it was televised in Britain. And because of the timing of it, it was a major public opinion victory for Thatcher. Oh, sure, sure. It was the first big conflict that she was involved in. She was in the war room. She was dictating the terms of, of what was happening. And it was a military victory for her. Mm -hmm. And it was so popular in the public eye that it helped the Tories win the next election. So the implication that, yeah, we died on TV in the Falklands is like, what was it for? You know, it's this random island way off in the middle of nowhere. People are literally dying and all the Tories are going, oh, yay, we did a great job. We get to re be reelected. Yeah, it's that sovereign nation. Just we got to have our fingers in everything. You know, they defended that for the longest time and kind of they still do. For the soldier, it would be easy to say, like, we're dying for the sake of this pure theater. Right. Yeah, exactly. In the long run, why did they die? But their heroes, their soldiers dying for the cause, you know, they are therefore the kings. They are the kings. Right. It's interesting. And then right immediately after, long generations from the Isles, Isles is capitalized in, in my copy of Silent Singing, mm. sent to tread the foreign miles and where the spiral ages meet felt naked dust beneath their feet. Long generations from the Isles. I mean, you get this sense of this almost constant exodus of men to go and die in foreign lands. Yeah, right. It doesn't matter what the war is. It spans the generations. It's, it spans the reasoning. It's talking about the soldier, the grunt. Yeah. Doing this for people who sit very comfortably in parliament in their cushy houses and 
send people to die. And I think that, you know, for me, where this gets to with the mountain men being kings is like in their own context, they have everything they need. When you are in resonance with where you're from and you are in your homeland, you you have that sense of belonging. I think that's what the that's what the king oh, status is. King of your castle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's being taken away from you. That's interesting. I, I guess I could go either way. Yeah, I do like that. That's a bit more tragic that way. It is still, I mean, even if it's the way that I think where they're being, they're being made heroes, you know, it's still tragic because they're dying for really nothing. And what does it mean to be a dead war hero, really? Right. And then, or what does it mean to come back? You know, was the, mm. why is, is the poacher a poacher because he got some kind of a terrible injury and can't work properly? Sure. Pure extrapolation. Or is that the dichotomous relationship? Like, look at him right. doing something illegal to survive. Because that's all there is to do, yeah. Because that's all there is to do. Yeah. But why isn't he a soldier who's going to do another thing because that's all there is to do? Regarding the Falkland Wars, there's a picture of the cover of Newsweek from April 19th, 1982, showing a warship, the HMS Hermes, powering off to the Falklands, and the title is The Empire Strikes Back, oh. The Falklands Crisis. Wow. So, in response to the Argentine Navy being off the coast of the Falklands and having taken over, the UK sent a number of nuclear-powered ships, including two submarines, the HMS Spartan from Gibraltar, and the HMS Splendid ordered from Scotland. Hmm. Just for chronological reference, Empire Strikes Back, the Star Wars film was from 80. Yes, exactly. So it's still in the public consciousness. Yeah. But the fact that there was a submarine sent literally from Scotland makes me feel like this song is a specific reference. And it's I know it's a tenuous connection, but this could have happened in a Scottish island. Hmm. Yeah. There could have been people being called up to go down to the shipyard and, and ship off to the Falklands. Yeah. I mean, it could be universal. Yes, and I think it is. But I do like the idea of kind of placing it there. Because even, even saying long generations from the Isles, like, the UK has a lot of Isles, you know. It is an Isle. Yeah. So it's it's hard to pinpoint it, but it does feel... Partic- well, and even the Piper thing. I mean, even in the UK, yes. they would have the Pipers. Even in the States, they have Pipers yes. play for funerals. That is a specifically Scottish reference. Correct, yeah. Although there are Irish pipes. Mm, could be any pipe. But they're really not. They're really a... I think it's really Scottish. Yeah, it's it's the bagpipes that are played at a military funeral. Yeah. Yeah. What do you make of that, the reference to the past and present black-eyed crow lies hunting high and circling low? And the past and present black-eyed crow flies hunting high and circling low. The crow is a carrion bird, and crows will flock to battlefields. So past and present are Elamine and the Falklands, eating the dead. Your eyeballs shall be a feast for carrion birds. Particularly crows, yeah. I love that it changes from the first time we hear that, from flu hunting high and circling low over blackened plains of Eden. And 
and then it changes to flies hunting high and circling low between dream mountains of our Eden. Past tense to present tense. Yeah. There's something simultaneously eternal and temporal about the mountains themselves, about this origin point. Yeah, which to these specific soldiers, their home where they are king, is their Eden. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's their utopia. It's their perfect place to live, and they got sent away from that. And in their dying moments, watching the crows circle overhead, they're transported back to that. They dream of those mountains. I don't think anyone could say that better, Nick. Well done. Thank you. Anything else to say about mountain men? I think Ian Anderson said it better, but no, no, <laughs> no. I, what a what a really powerful, potent song. It's we haven't seen a lot. Well, we saw it more in like under wraps and a that kind of really contemporary topical song. But we've got a reference back to that with this song, and it's it's really really powerful and potent. And I don't think we need to be really aware of. Elamine or the Falklands to have it be that potent. And yet making those specific connections really does cast it into sharp relief. Yeah. The real specific meaning behind this. Nick, how much of, of an anti-war song would you say this is? Hmm. I would say it is like 45 to 50% anti-war song. I think it's one of those Ian Anderson classics where I'm just laying it out. Yes. I'm just giving you the other side of things that maybe you're not thinking about and the, the people aren't telling you about. Yeah. The people in power. But this is kind of how it is. You decide. He's not saying, oh my God, it's so bad that our population is being drained and our young men are being sent away to die in foreign wars. He's saying, our young men are being sent away and dying in foreign wars. They have been for centuries. It do be like that. Right. Yeah. It do be like that sometimes sure do it have done be like that it will do be like that and it is do be like that right now (laughs) it's not like the song ohio by crosby stills and nash which is really an anti-war song it's about four anti-war protesters getting shot and killed wow that's pretty um hard to Hard to not know where the opinion of the writer falls that way. Yeah. Twin soldiers and Nixon's coming. We're finally on our own. This summer I hear the drumming. For dead in Ohio. Speaking of, Crosby just died like a couple days ago. I saw that. I saw that. R.I.P. Crosby. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. The past and present, the black eyed crow, flies hunting high and circling low. Between dream mountains of our Eden. Nick, what are we listening to Le Prochain Semaine? Goodness me, this is one of those rare albums where we don't have bonus tracks, so we are almost done with this album. Wow. As we discussed in the early portion of this episode, we're getting into The Waking Edge. Oh, yeah, I love that song. Smack in the middle of this side of the album. It is B3 or track number eight. And speaking of smack, this was a song that I was addicted to as a youth. So I'm excited to get into it next week. Nick, until next week, 
We are hoping for a lured in a wetter. <laughs> was that was that a genuine mistake? Yeah, I'm having a hard time. Wow. A side effect of COVID is spoonerisms, apparently. Until next week, we are hoping for a word in a letter. Fair blown wind from across the sea in the in the form of a five-star review and rating on your Apple podcast of choice. <laughs> you don't have to be naked when you feel the naked dust beneath your feet. You can be but it helps. fully decked out oh, in Talk Told to Me merch which you can find the Tee Public link to that merch in our show notes. Who am I to say no to someone's right to take a listen once in a while to the two extra podcasts that they can get from signing up to our Patreon, which is only $5 a month. In addition to access to our Discord. Discord. Where you can talk to other like minded tall skulls. Until next week, I'm the old man who winks a smile, Nick McGill. I am the hard eyed crow, Omis Thomas Sade. We are the feckless momes, the sounds of whom count for everything. And this is the between, and, th- and this is between dream mountains of our Eden. Talk tell to me. You're watching my brain shut down. It's leaking from your ears. really difficult. Well, Mary, we've been up here with all our tanks of gas now for neon three hours. I don't think the boys are coming back. I didn't think they would. Oh, Mary, I'm so lonely when they're gone. Aye, take another hit of nitrogen, Mary. It'll put your mind right. Oh, yes. Get it deep within your, what I assume is veins. Oh, Marley. It's such a treat. Nothing brings me the joy like climbing a high mountain. I remember back when, before they released oxygen into the air, all we had to do was breathe the nitrogen. These kids these days don't know how lucky they have it with a mix of breathable elements. That's just after we came out of the primordial soup, wasn't it, Mark? I remember it well. First there was naught but nitrogen. Then a little bit of carbon dioxide for the spice. Then some argon for flavor. Now it's all this this newfangled oxygen. What will become of it, Mary? Oh, they're so spoiled. They never knew what it was to have to sprout legs to go up a mountain. That was long before the, the invention of talk told to me. Do you remember when we climbed old, the old volcano using only our teeth and wiggling? I had a pseudopod. Ah, yes, that was right after we got two orifices. And you had flagella. I've still got flagella, Mary. Look at this. Oh, it wiggles so. I'm tempted to eat it. Oh, you stay. Keep your chambers off me, flagella. That's right. Oh, Marley, we're out of nitrous oxide, Marley. What do we do? I suppose it's time to make like the old conception of human beings who were split by a thunderbolt twist ourselves into a perfect circle made of two halves and roll down the mountain together. My favorite mode of transportation. Whee! is a proud member of the Feckless Moons Audio Network. You shut your dirty mouth.